Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 75 and we are back. And if you guys heard the Astro Photog podcast, you noticed that we're doing the change. And I haven't even told Brendan this yet because did you listen to the Astro Photog podcast? It came out yesterday. Yeah, totally <laughs> did. It's not Five rec- times it's already. <laughs> of course you did. You love listening to me I- talk can't stand not listening to you. So I made an announcement. You <laughs> okay, can't that? stand not listening to me? Okay, I'm glad you had a not in there. Right, see, I, heard good. <laughs> I announced that we are going to do the Photog Adventure podcast every Wednesday now. That okay. way we can do a Tuesday night recording, and if we're not ahead of schedule, at worst, we're recording the night before, and it goes out Wednesday morning. Mm. So the day for them and day for you guys to expect the Photog Adventures podcast is Wednesday. Wednesday every week, and on Monday... Most Mondays, I'm hoping to do it. I'm planning to do it every Monday, but let's not get crazy, Aaron King. You promised a mm-hmm. lot before. You haven't been able to make sure happen. But Astro Photog with an Astro Primer every Monday to start the week off and say, here's where the Milky Way is. Okay. Here's where everything's going on. And it's a 30-minute or less episode. You know? Okay, so you want to kick the week off with that and then do the regular release yeah. every Wednesday. Just Sounds because good. we can't get ahead of ourselves. We can't do two podcasts a night when we try mm-hmm. to. We, we just are too beat. We're too tired. And so it's nice. Right now it's Tuesday <laughs> yeah. night. Let's record this podcast and go into Wednesday with it ready to go. Okay. So that's the big change. The other announcement I'll quickly say is Eric Benedetti's workshop. You guys want to buy it. It is a $79 purchase for a live online workshop with five hours of Eric Benedetti doing star tracking. And he's going to show you his gear right here in studio live, and you can ask questions all throughout it. It's interactive where you guys can interrupt at any point and ask a question. Say, hey, what did you just say there? Or what was that part? What What's that gear from? You know, stuff like that. Ask us. Hit us up. I'll be here with Eric doing it the whole day. We'll probably even have Drew Armstrong helping us out. He says he might be able to help and do some of the live feed with us so that is this saturday if you can't make it you can't be there you want to wait till a couple months get a paycheck or something you don't want to pay money for something like this right now you can purchase a replay the only thing is the replay costs 99 dollars. it's going to be sold the day of for 99 dollars for the replay it's because we're encouraging people to buy and be part of the live event i'll have some discounts over black friday we'll have discounts here and there announced on the podcast where you can get it for cheaper but the thing will be on sale to the worldwide 99 dollars after the 21st so buy it now if you're wanting to get it for the cheaper price and join us on saturday cool all right any announcements from you brendan uh no i think i'm good any announcements from our guest or do you want to introduce our guest yeah, let's introduce our guest. Uh, today we have with us uh, via Skype, Jeff Peterson. The, the Jeff Peterson. The Jeff Peterson. He is uh, residing currently in Cedar City, so he's not able to be here in studio, but he's joining us through Skype. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Uh, hopefully you guys are having as good a day as I've had. <laughs> mm, why? Tell us about your day. Oh, I got to go out and play with my dog today, and uh, I did a YouTube video with my dog. And uh, oh, nice! Just oh, it was a lot of fun. I strapped the GoPro onto his back um, <laughs> with awesome. a special dog harness and let him run, and it was it was amazing. We had a we had so much fun and uh, put the quick video together, and uh, just uh, 
had a blast watching it and just keep laughing every time I watch it. So <laughs> that's awesome. Not easy to film a dog running. No. <laughs> when I told that gives you, me an idea. I want to do that with my dog. My dog's fast, it's fun. Too. And he <laughs> took him out and because of the snow today, every oh, all yeah. everything was covered in snow. So the dog was going through bushes and hitting it. The GoPro was getting wet halfway through. Oh, so it was just awesome. dripping with water and snow melting that's on it. That's cool. That's a good idea. <laughs> that was a happy dog. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was having a blast. So, but you never found a rabbit though. I really wanted him to to uh, to uh, find a rabbit to chase because he'll take off and he's so fast. And I was mm. running uh, recording at one twenty frames. So hopefully I could slow it way down if he took off after a rabbit. So it'd be kind of like a slow motion thing. But yeah, the rabbits yeah. were hiding. Well, Jeff is our buddy. He has actually been really kind to us and housed us, fed us, and taken care of us out on Photog Adventures. Ever since the Listener Adventure last April when I met him and Kathy Hanahan out there at Mule Canyon, mm-hmm. we went to House on Fire Ruin and then went out the next night to Natural Bridges National Monument. I've known Jeff since then, and it's it feels like we've gone a lot, Jeff, but we, we count it. What is it? Four times that we've gone out, really, and it's not that many times. Mm. No, it hasn't been that many times, but uh, it, be it seems like when we go out, we have a blast, and uh, you know, it's there's always something fun that happens. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, Jeff introduced us to Escalante and took us to the places there, and that was just fantastic. Oh, I love beautiful that trip. time last year. So, oh, we have yeah. Introdu- introduced you to flat tires. Yeah, <laughs> introduced. Was that our first? No, that wasn't our first flat tire. Our first no, tire okay. was two at one time out there looking for the GoPros. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but uh, we went, the Escalante trip, I was going to say, is 26 days away. That workshop is 26 days from oh, now. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're almost there. So if you guys are thinking about buying it, go and check it out. we got oh, a few more slots sure. available. I'm excited. So Jeff, um, as a buddy, a part of ours, you've been a, part of, you've been a listener of Photog Adventures from almost since the beginning but you are Red Cliffs Photography. Before we go into some of the Death Valley stories that we had when we were out there with you, uh, tell us more about Red Cliffs Photography and what you do professionally there. Well, um, I, uh, I mainly do print sales. Um, I do shows every year. Um, I try to do six to ten shows uh, at a time. Okay. Um, I predominantly do uh, landscape and wildlife. Um, but I also uh, have done other types of photography over the years. I did some uh, equestrian photography and actually started out uh, shooting motocross. Oh, motocross, so, right. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was, I was 16, and uh, my parents got a 35-millimeter camera, and so I was taking all the pictures of all my buddies. So that got me started. But now I just enjoy going and, and you know, hanging out with people, and I think that's a lot of fun is – you know, it's great to go out and be someplace cool, but if you can share it with somebody else, that's that's even better. You yeah, know, right. that makes you know. Sometimes people don't believe you when you show them a picture of something. They go, "Oh no, that's you photoshopped that." And <laughs> if somebody was there, they can go, "Oh no, that's exactly how it looked." Yeah, yeah. Speaking of sharing photos, you told me about your adventures as a young guy who was always climbing up the nose at El Capitan and doing crazy high uh, high climbs, crazy dangerous climbs you said you have a picture of you eating lunch hanging off the cliff face thousand feet high in the sky or hundreds of feet high in the sky well have you found that picture yet no (laughs) i think my mom might have it i got a she's got a bunch of pictures um that she still has stored at her house Uh, i don't know why she has them but she found them recently so i gotta go down there and get them from her i hope you can find it because that sounds like an awesome picture 
Oh, it was so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was in my crazy days when I uh, I was trying to kill myself. I think you know, <laughs> doing doing stupid things. <laughs> so with Red Cliffs Photography, you do it full time right now, or do you consider yourself a would you consider yourself full time with what you're doing? Obviously, photography can take any amount of time throughout the year, and you're still full time doing it, right? What would you call yourself? Uh, I'll call myself full time part time. Full time part time. Um, yeah, I'm technically retired from the fire service mm-hmm. after 32 years, and so photography is more of a passion than a necessity. Um, I don't have to. I don't have to make money from it to survive and feed my family, um, but um, it uh, it's more of a passion now, and it's something fun to do. Is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to talk about it today later in this podcast where Jeff does shows. He goes and sells his photography and shows. If it's more of a passion and more fun, what's your motivation to go do the shows and not just let sales trickle in slowly? Uh, help pay for the addiction to all my travels. <laughs> okay, that makes complete sense. Because it's not cheap to travel, and it's not cheap to no. uh, to buy better, more better gear and all that stuff, right? Oh, so. yeah. Actually, let's bring up that gear when we talk about that one trip, because that's going to be mm. a crazy expense. Okay, sweet. Well, then, you joined us in Escalante. You joined us down in Mule Canyon, and then when you said... We've planned a bunch of trips that we're going to go to Yellowstone, Moab. We went out to Moab after all in yeah, January, yeah. and then yep. in January, for some reason, you hadn't had enough of us and decided to invite us to join you in Death Valley. And we loved that trip in Death Valley oh, and yeah. being in your trailer, especially. So, <laughs> from Death Valley, how did your pictures turn out, and what was your favorite thing that you captured or experienced in Death Valley with us? I think the the best part of Death Valley was all the fun we had as a group. Mm. Um, the photography is great, but I mean that fun. I mean we had a blast. I you know <laughs> we laughed and it almost got to be where the photos were secondary and we were just having a lot of fun. So um, I think the picture I got though the the morning that you guys were coming. Oh no, that was your um, best one. Was, well, it's one of my favorites down on the salt flats, um, it- right before the the sun came up. I think that that is one of my favorites from that trip. Um, and then second would be the sand dune pictures we got the the first morning we went out. Yeah, the clear morning with the really bright sun making the s- with that beautiful oh. beautiful light on those dunes. Yeah, that was just amazing. Oh. Gorgeous. We had the crazy windstorm that came through and made everything look more pristine than it could ever have been with all the people that have been out there for oh, President's so Day weekend. Day, day before, yeah. Yeah, and then we get this wonderful sunlight all across the early morning golden light on those sand dunes. It was crisp. It was beautiful, pristine. Uh, I, I loved it. The second night with the sun blocked by some clouds was just, sorry, Tim, he only made it for the second night, uh, second morning, but that was, <laughs> ah, that was just not as good. Nowhere as close. Yeah. I think it's a lot of it. it's the textures you get in the sand. Mm. You know, it's not just the curves of the sand dune, but then you start seeing the textures and stuff. Like those I think ripples. that's what makes those sand dunes really special after the wind like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Every step I took, I felt like I was ruining a potential composition, but we needed to get out there further and deeper in, and so it was tough. It was tough to walk past everything that looked awesome. 
You mm. took a macro shot. Well, it wasn't really very much macro, but you took a nice intimate shot with the white cracked mud and the sand. Both you and Brenda ended up taking a mm. similar shot. How did those shots turn out when you guys looked at them back on your camera? Have you had a chance to look at them on the big screen? I have, yeah. You know, mine came out pretty cool. I fa- actually found, um, and I don't know if you were with me when I found it, but I found a pattern of those mud cracks. And in the mud is this little rock. And the rock is actually blue. Oh, yeah, you did it's show us a, that. Yeah, It's yeah. got a blue tinge really? to it. And it's just the coolest picture. And actually, I've printed it and uh, actually sold one at my last show. Oh, wow. That's really? awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Do you have to – I'll ask that question. I have a question saved now for when we talk about the show later because I have a question for that. But with that picture, how did you get the composition balanced? Were you focused only on centering it and symmetry around the rock? What's the picture look like? What's the composition? You know, um, I tried to use the the, uh, the cracks in the mud to lead you into the picture and, and lead you kind of up to where the rock is. The rock is actually in the middle of one of the – the flat areas in the in the mud. Mm. So I tried to use all those those lines in the mud to kind of draw you into that rock. Was it a top so, down perspective or a little bit depth perception as you see the rock in the distance? No, I actually set my tripod up and shot straight down on it. So straight down. So yeah. the leading so lines are coming off the frame and into the frame towards the rock. Right. Yeah, coming right out of the out of the lower corners, just coming right up into it. So <laughs> that does sound perfect. <laughs> yeah. It was it was pretty cool. And I was pretty happy that somebody wanted to buy it. So Seriously. I just sold a little eleven by fourteen print of it and that was pretty cool. So you know, Jeff turned me on to that kind of intimate landscape photography when we were out in Moab and we were out that week, you said, Okay, now that we're done at Dead Horse Point, mm. we shouldn't leave yet. We should get going around here because he knew there were these little puddles that they freeze and then they get melted throughout the day and then refreeze and become different patterns, different cool looking crystals. And you turned me on to that kind of photography and I don't know. I have a hard time thinking of what makes the best shot. How do you decide something intimate like that with these lines? The pattern is something that the the composition is balanced and it looks great. What are you looking for? Or do you just take a lot of different shots and choose your favorite? Yeah, a lot of times it's just a matter of taking a lot of different angles and, you know, messing around with your composition because it's kind of hard to see in camera sometimes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I will... I'll do those intimate shots like that, and I might take four or five different angles and try different kinds of light on them and just kind of see what I end up with. Um, One of my favorites is is, with the ice is to get reflections of colors from canyon walls or things like that into the ice because then you get the refraction of the light going through that ice, and it it's like a prism almost at times. And so you get these really crazy colors that pop up. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. If I, I don't think I have it. I have one sitting here, a metal print that I did in this mess, but um, yeah, it's just kind of fun. I did one in Zion and it, you've got the blue from the sky, but you've got the, the reds coming off the cliffs and it's all reflecting and kind of mixing Mm-hmm. So it gives it kind of an interesting look. So a lot of fun mm. to do that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's, when you're leaving the sunlight and the light, you know, it's no longer the great golden light. That's a great way to spend the rest of your morning and still get some photography in because you don't need to have perfect light for that. It's something that you have top down and you just enjoy the textures and the composition there. Mm. 
Well, and then sometimes the the later day light works actually better with some of those kinds of things, like flowers and stuff. You can have more light, and you don't need that that golden light so much. You're, you're you're trying to get the details out of the flowers or you know bugs or whatever. You need a little bit more light so you can kind of freeze the subject sometimes because the flowers will be waving and stuff. So okay. Um, so for someone who can't picture that necessarily, you're saying the good light is it enough light, enough light to really get a shorter shutter speed and take the shot nice. Yeah, just you know and. And you want to be able to, you want that, that contrast sometimes in some of the images, you know, mm. we tend to shoot all right at sunrise and then we don't have a lot of contrast in our shots sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to my days of shooting black and white though. Black and white, we could extend out farther and uh, I end up shooting a lot of black and whites later in the morning. I always hear people say, if it's middle of the day, do black and white. Do middle of the day, do black and white because you can see the contrasting light, harsh, harsh light. And I don't do it. I usually end up not. I end up usually waiting for the sunrise, sunset, or Milky Way. That's when I base my only times around. Mm. So I got to apologize to a listener who I'm hoping is still listening. He said to me once, Jeff, that don't ask a question, and right at the end of your good open-ended question, I'll have the error of saying, or do you do XXX? And I end up leading the interviewed person into answering it that way. And I just did it with Jeff. I just did it with Jeff. Like, or do you just take a lot of different shots? And then he answers, I just take a lot of different shots. And it's like, ah, oh, that listener's probably right now kicking me you know, in his mind, thinking, oh, man, I don't know if he could stand listening to me anymore. Maybe he doesn't listen to that at all. But uh, I've got to, uh, I got to stop you doing that. You can't lead me. Don't worry. I'm, I'm like a mule. I'm pretty stubborn. Yeah, but you claim that I lead you whenever we get lost. You are following Aaron. Well, yeah, it's always your fault when we get lost. So So from Death Valley, we kind of veered off into cool, intimate landscape photography talk. But uh, Death Valley, any other story that pops out? You said the dunes, you had some of the best photography and that Badwater sunrise. If you guys have been to Badwater, there are these mountains Mm. in the west that I think, Jeff, is your shot the one where you waited for the sunlight to hit those mountains, or was that before the sunlight even hit those mountains? No, it was before the sun even hit those mountains, just just in that that little twilight time when you're getting that just beautiful colors in the sky yeah. just before that sun comes up over the horizon. Mm. Um, and I was facing off to the the west, so um, just it's just beautiful. But I would like to get back out there and try to get the Milky Way out there. But <sighs> right? we didn't we didn't have that chance while we were there, unfortunately. Uh, and you were going to think about going back out for racetrack, right? Still going to do that this year? No, nah, I'm probably going to wait till it cools down a little bit. It's I think it's a little hot. Um, I just saw somebody was there and it was in the hundreds and wow. yeah, camping out at the racetrack and that kind of heat doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> in April, it's no. already 100. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Um, a few years ago when I was there, um, it was in, it was a 92 one day in February. Really? Yeah. So it can be, it can be hot any, any day of the year there. It's pretty crazy. Wow. (laughs) It earns its name for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have Jeff on the podcast is because he's really great at printing, doing shows, doing wildlife photography, and just his landscape photography is fun to talk about. And so let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast. And I want to come back and talk with Jeff about his wildlife photography, especially his adventures out in Africa. Is that your like cougar cry? That was a really bad impression. What was that? That was a really bad impression. <laughs> it wasn't even a good roar. <laughs> no. 
We're only 25 days away, Brendan, from getting out to Escalante, and we've already got slots filled, but we haven't filled up all the way. So there's some space left. There's some space left. Okay. And we talked about it a little bit last time, about your favorite part of Escalante, but when you think about Devil's Garden... Those pillars and those sandstone landmarks are just so awesome. The texture, the color, it's amazing as a foreground And the sky is so dark out there. It's amazing. And they're incredibly easy to low-level light. One light shining on both of these pillars, it just looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's our podcast cover art, honestly. It just looks so great. Yeah, it's just a fantastic place. So if you've always wanted to do Milky Way photography and you just like the ease of driving right up there and going to these places that there's only one real quick hike to do, and that's nothing. It's It's a mile hike. It's easy. If you guys want to come out here and join us for Escalante, check it out, photogadventures.com forward slash adventures, and you will see our workshop for Escalante. It's coming up in 25 days. Hope you guys will do it. It'd be awesome to have you guys. Okay, hey, welcome back, guys. Uh, we're still here with Jeff Peterson, and we want to talk to him about his Africa trip that he did. Was it last year you did that, or was it a little while ago? Uh, it's been two years since two I went. Two years since I okay. Was that your first time out there, or was that your second? That was my first. So, okay, awesome. Amazing place. So what part of Africa did you go to? What was the... Uh... So I went to Kenya okay. and flew into Nairobi. Um, that's a scary place. Is it? Um, oh yeah, I've heard some crazy um, stories in Nairobi. But the ride from the airport to the hotel is uh, pretty terrifying. Um, <laughs> they tell you when you get in the in the cab not to roll down the windows. Mm. Don't even roll and, your window down. No, and it's you know it's like twelve hundred degrees in the in the cab. But uh, evidently they will uh, while you're stopped at a signal, they'll come up and drag you out of the car. And rob you and beat you. And oh. So you don't want to really do that. So you spend the night in Nairobi in a really nice hotel. And you get up in the morning. Then you catch a little tiny airplane out to the bush. Mm. And it's about an hour ride. And you, you, it's like you're going to a whole other world. Mm. Um, the people are just fabulous. They treat you good. You, you arrive at camp. They pick you up at this little dirt airstrip, which was a, quite the experience flying into. <laughs> and we get in the we get in the land the land cruisers, and you know they got us packed in pretty tight for the ride back to the the camp. And um, we're sitting there driving back, and I'm like, "Oh, giraffe, giraffe, giraffe!" And I'm trying to grab my camera and trying to take pictures, and because they're like the animals are just there. We, you know, we saw a giraffe, elephant, and water buffalo from between the airstrip and our camp. Wow. <laughs> and cool. I'm just going, this is crazy. So we get to <laughs> camp, and camp is a bunch of tents. And you're staying in tents in the bush. What kind of tents? Are we picturing small REI tents, giant safari, 1920s no, I mean, or You have two double beds in them. So the, they're not... You know, they're not like a twin. They're a little bit bigger than a twin. Okay. But there's two of those. And then at the back of the tent is a bathroom. Everybody, each tent has its own shower mm. and toilet and a little sink in there. What That's kind cool. of so, toilet are we talking here? Yeah. A pit, a hole in the... It's, it's pretty nice. <laughs> okay. But it's a tent. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's no fences around the tent. So you're in the tent. So <laughs> you get there and when you, when you pull up, you... Uh, you pull up and there's there's these people sitting there and they've got hot uh, towels to wipe your face and wash your hands and they bring you cold drinks and you really get treated like royalty in a way. <laughs> oh. um, but uh, at at night they tell you don't leave your tent. 
Um, <laughs> if you need to leave your tent, you have to go out on, there's a little porch area and you take your flashlight and you flash your flashlight up at the main tent and one of the Maasai will come down and escort you up to the tent. The Maasai warriors, um, those guys. Yeah. Yeah. A guy with a, <laughs> with a guy rifle. with this big, huge spear. Oh. I mean, and he's, and he's, they stand guard. There's like two of them that stand guard at night and protect you <laughs> wow. with a spear. That's crazy. Yeah. It was really intense because you, after the first day, you realize, well, there's, there's lions and, there's all kinds of <laughs> crazy animals out there that would like to have you for a meal. And you mentioned there's no fence, huh? There's not like you're in there's a compound no that has a fence around you, nothing. No. Mm. Well, I'd get up early. I'd get up because at 4 o'clock they turn the power back on. They fire up the generator. Oh, I see. So as soon as I, the power came on, I would get up and I would go up to the main tent and had good enough internet that I could uh, FaceTime with my wife. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was it was really good. So as long as nobody was up in camp, I could FaceTime for a little while. But then when everybody got up, the the internet got pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Took a dive. <laughs> yeah, so I'd do my FaceTime, and then they'd bring me my coffee, and uh, they'd bring you like a little cookie kind of thing, kind of like a almost like a donut, but more like a cookie. Um, they'd give you a couple hmm. of those, and that's kind of to get your morning going. So. But uh, it, the whole time in my head, I was thinking, okay, there's wild animals around here. You know, we had uh, hyenas running through camp. Running through um, camp. Either. Mongoose. Mongoose would run around camp. Um, so we were, I think it was the second night, we're sitting there, and they have a big fire, and you eat dinner, and you have the fire. And so we go back, and we go to bed, and it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and my campmate was from England, and all of a sudden we hear something scratching at the side of our tent. Oh. And I just about had to peel him off the top of the tent because <laughs> he just completely freaked out. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, it's okay, man. <laughs> and he 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 was like, he was freaked out the rest of the night. I don't think he slept a wink the rest of the night. <laughs> And of course, I just went right back to sleep. It's like, yeah, whatever. Hey, if he's, he's yeah, if he's awake, why do he's going to stand guard? He can go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, after a while, you kind of got used to the noises. But I mean, hippos are really loud, and we're like mm, right next hippos. to the river is the camp. So you hear the hippos all night long, and they make this terrible noise, this grunting noise. <laughs> so if you're a light sleeper. You're never going to get any sleep there. So, <laughs> or bring earplugs, but, I guess, huh? Oh yeah, but we had a great time. Um, photographed eight different leopards, which Whoa. I've had friends have gone to Africa and never seen a leopard. And you know, you had eight different Whoa. leopards. Eight different leopards. Wow. Because we knew they were different because it, we covered a vast territory. Okay. Um, we saw three different baby leopards in that time. Um, and then mothers, and then this big, huge male. Um, he was just massive, and we found him up in a tree with a kill. Whoa! Um, I've seen that evening. picture of yours. Yeah, and then we came back the next morning when the light was just perfect, and got him in that beautiful light in the tree. Oh. And I had that one hanging hanging upstairs um, in the house, and that's one of my favorite pictures from Africa. Mm. Is that leopard? Oh, that's so cool! Did you? Did you get a shot close in on his face, or was it the full body tree? I got 
every possible oh. thing. We sat there for three hours. Okay. So every we would move the jeep around. They would move the jeep around the tree so you get different angles and different light. And we eventually got him climbing down the tree. And I actually have shots of him. And he went head first walking down the tree. Oh, cool! Interesting. And he walked past about eight hyena, and just kept on going like it was. And then all of a sudden he was gone. He was he just disappeared into the grass. And you're like, well, he was right there. Where did he go? Wow. So when you're talking about this trip. You guys are in the Jeep all the time? There's no getting out for anything? You don't get out of the Jeep for anything oh, wow. um, unless you're in camp. You're, you're, uh, you become food if you get out of the Jeep. <laughs> that sounds like a fair decision. I'll, I'll just stay in the Jeep. Oh, we would have – the lions would walk up to the Jeep, literally walk up and lay in the shade of the Jeep. What kind of Jeep? Are you talking big open wire bars that you could climb, no, like stand up in? Kind of yeah. Thing. Did you have a roll was a, bar to was stand a, next to and rest your camera on with this bag, bean bag or something or anything like that? So they're old Land Cruisers. Um, they're four doors, but they're kind of, they're custom built for the safaris. There's mm. a company there in Nairobi that builds them. Okay. But there's no sides to them. There's no, there's no windows. It's just an open hole on the side of the Jeep. Oh, okay. And then there's a roof hatch that pops up and is like a shade above you. Mm. So you can get up, you can shoot out of the top, you can shoot out of the windows. Um, you have different angles depending upon where the animals are. And then you would rotate your position. There was only three people in a Jeep. So we would rotate each day where you sat in the Jeep so you would get different vantage points. Um, because they would try to park the Jeep a certain way so everybody would have a good good uh, shot at the animal. Um, but the guides wow. were great about getting you in the right position. They And most of the guides were actually photographers too. And um, so they knew what we were looking for for shots. Right. So okay, that's that was That was the good part. Hmm. How many that's days amazing. did you say you were going to be out here? How many days did you have? It was an eight-day trip is all. So eight days of photography, or does that include the flight in and flight that out? Was in, that was included the, the Saturday. So it's from Saturday to Saturday okay. that you're there. Oh. You fly out late Saturday night. I caught the, the midnight flight out of Nairobi and flew home and got home on Monday. Hmm. All right. Wow. So, But it's awesome adventure, man. I mean, <laughs> I can't wait to go back. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my wife earlier about I want to go back uh, next year again because I just it's just an amazing place the animals are so so easy to photograph I mean they just they don't the, in the national parks there they don't hunt them like they don't here so right, right. they're easy to get close to the only animal I didn't get to see that I wanted to see was a rhino oh. so I want to go back and get some rhino pictures awesome and you're saying you have eight days out here. You're shooting from a Jeep. You can't get any closer than the Jeep takes you. So what lens do you bring? Obviously, the largest. I was just going to ask that. What was your favorite lens to shoot with? Oh, sorry, yeah. I jumped in there. That's then. right. My favorite, 80% of my pictures, according to Lightroom, <laughs> were shot with the 100-400. Oh, really? Okay. 80%? Yep. Didn't you bring a 500-millimeter prime? I, I had my 500 with me, um, but you get so close to the animals, you really don't need it. Oh, um, interesting. 400 millimeters is a is a really good length. 300 to 400 right in there is really a great length. But I actually have a lot of pictures that I shot at like 180 millimeters. Mm, just you're that close. Because you're that close. 
Yeah. And was it that um, Canon that we were using and Brendan yep, borrowed in yep. Death Valley? Is that the same 100 to 400? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So 100 400. It's light. It, it works it's a great. great. Lens, yeah. I don't have yeah. familiar. I don't have much familiarity. Fam, familiarity. I can't, I can't say that right now. I don't have much familiarity with that lens, and so I'm wondering sharpness, a risk, a factor in the fact that you are a factor in the fact. Is it a factor that you're considering when you think I'll pull out the 500 just so I can get more sharpness, or at 400 long, it's actually still crazy sharp and no concerns there, no even considerations. I didn't. I didn't really shoot at 400 that much. If I went back, I think I would take a 300 prime. Um, I think that would be a good lens if you had it, like a 300 2.8 would be a fabulous lens for there. Um, good recommendation. Yeah. That, that is, that's like a great focal length. I find that a lot of my pictures, when I look at them in Lightroom, I shot a lot of them right around that 300, 320. I never really shot it. If I was going to shoot out at 400, it seemed like I would grab the 500 and use it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So I took I took three different camera bodies, but in if I when I go back, I'm probably only going to take two. Which one would you drop? Um, I would not take the five DSR. Oh, okay. I had that one in my bag. It 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 doesn't work well enough in the low light. Um, you can't push the ISO and get usable images. So you, a lot of the stuff that I shot was pretty low light. So the five D Mark IV is going to be just stellar at that. And then I actually have had very good luck with my 7D Mark II for when I need that little bit extra reach, mm. that crop factor. Um, so I'll probably just take those two bodies and uh, be very happy. So someone who is going out to something like this for the very first time, what are the three things that they need to know that you wish you had been warned about before you went? Trust auto ISO. <laughs> oh, mm, Interesting. It's your friend. I blew some shots because I was trying to control my ISO, and it was because I was using the 5DSR. So when I would take the shot, I would be trying to keep the ISO really low, and I'd have to I'd have to compensate by having the shutter speed too slow. Oh. So I have some shots that are a little blurry, had some motion blur in them. Yeah, dang. Um, so aperture so, aperture priority would be a good place to leave it. And just adjust, adjust I the actually shoot it. I actually now since that I shoot um, all manual, but I shoot auto ISO. Oh, okay. And then I'll I'll do I'll compensate on the ISO, and that works fabulous that way for for the fast action when stuff's happening, the light conditions are changing quickly out there. Sometimes you need to be able to just shoot and let the camera. But I would always I'd set the exposure compensation a little bit. Okay. Awesome. Sorry if you're noticing me, Jeff, making faces. It's really hot in here. It's, it's dying. Why? Uh, I don't know. Because we're in a little room, and we've got a few computers, and the sun sets on this uh, west-facing wall, and just, this place just bakes. The crazy thing is that my so. roommate, or I guess my office mate who, who works in there, doesn't have the same problem at all. And so she's upset when I turn on the air conditioning. That's weird. Well, go, go roll in the snow. That'll yeah, we could. Rolling snow. It actually <laughs> melted already yeah. here. Oh, did it? Yeah, the, sun, the sun did come out this afternoon and actually melt most of it away. So. so then, awesome. Before we go back into live recording, I'm having this door open. I'm double-checking to see if anyone's here. 
But uh, I don't think anybody else is here. But double check. Though. We got two of his advices, or just one. So just far? one so far. Yeah. Just one. So, you say those those batteries? Where? What are they? They're for my five D Mark III. So they're just a standard. But I mean, what did you say they have on them? STK. So when you look at the, Is you it like the, the bottom you of it, and see, no, no, it's STK it's brand. STK brand. It's another China oh, Fresh okay. brand. Oh, okay. I'll look. Yeah, it's okay, it's just it's a generic off brand, but STK actually does a pretty good job with their batteries. So when you flip it to look and see what the info is on the bottom, it'll say STK in the top left corner, ish. Okay. Which is yeah. why I know look, I don't I'll have them because I haven't seen any of those. Yeah, he's got like wasabi and everything else, but mine are just the black label. It says I'll look you know, in the I'll look in the trailer too. Because I, I charged oh. them and I'm just like, uh, I, I thought I put them back in my box, but maybe I need to take everything out of my boxes and make sure. But I thought I looked through and it and I, I didn't see. I emptied my box that I took with me that day for blood. And normally I would have put them there. back in my camera bag. I wouldn't have put them in my box. So I, that's why I'm just like, I don't know. I ended up with some of Tim's stuff. He he left after our trip. So, so I'll, I bet. I'll the, I saw, so yeah, so I bet mine's in there too. That's what I'm, I'm hoping someone has them and they're not just lost. Okay. That would have been right. the second pair that I've lost in the last year. It's like, what the freak? It's a good right. thing they're cheap, but uh, I don't need to keep buying batteries every two months. Right. All right. I'm coming back in. Okay, All so right. question two. So what's your second piece of advice for someone who goes out? Uh, you know what? Don't bring too much stuff. You you really don't need you don't mm. need to bring a lot of extra gear. And and you have to remember that when you fly out in the to the bush, you're actually limited to fifteen kilos. So Total. even though the flight there to Nairobi wasn't that bad of a restriction, the bush flight. Oh, it actually was worse. Oh, it was. If you yeah, KLM has a restriction of twelve kilos. Oh. And yes, they do weigh the bags. <laughs> so, so I you... worked really hard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you worked really hard to do what? To to get my weight down, and I've learned some. I learned a few tricks along the way. So <laughs> things like batteries. I carry them in my pockets because they don't weigh you. They just weigh your camera bag. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So what I did is every all the lo- little stuff I put in my pockets of my jacket. All your batteries. So my jacket, I bet my jacket weighed 10 kilos <laughs> with all the stuff I had in it. But then they didn't weigh that. So that gave me the ability to carry my camera gear because I actually was at 13 kilos if I put all my camera gear in. Um, so, but I, it worked out pretty good, but, uh, yeah, they actually, when we were in Amsterdam, they actually, they would wheel this little thing up and it was a scale and they'd put your bag on there as you entered the plane. So, yeah. (laughs) What do you, what do they expect you to do if it weighs too much? Like you just, you know, like here, hand them something like, Oh, here's my $5,000 lens that I can't take. No, they check it. Oh, they They check it. it. Oh, I can't. But it still is on the plane. (laughs) I don't understand. that's not the point. They don't want it in. The, they don't want people filling up the overheads. Mm, okay. okay. So. I guess I get so it. So that, that's one thing. I Love I overpacked. Dutch. I took I way that. more than I needed. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I had I had power converters. I had all kinds of crazy stuff, and I didn't need it. Um. I found out that you don't need all that stuff because your chargers for your batteries and your chargers for your um your laptop will all run on the 220 that they use. Okay. Um, and I didn't realize that um, until I got there. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. This all works fine because everybody else was doing it. Hmm. 
And I, so I finally figured that part out. So okay, yeah, I overpacked big time. <laughs> awesome. And what was your third piece of advice for someone? Take lots of memory cards. Mm. I actually, I took enough memory cards that I had almost a terabyte. And Whoa. I almost filled that terabyte of cards Holy up. Holy Hannah, that's a lot of shooting, now, man. A thousand Yeah. Games. <laughs> well, I, I dual write with all my cards. So I, I always write to both cards mm-hmm. in, my, in my camera. So I've got an instant backup. So basically your terabyte gets cut in half. Mm-hmm. So you got – but even then, I mean, I was just shooting – you shoot so much because I thought, oh, I'm not going to – I'm going to be – I'm going to be careful. The first day – the first game drive I went on, I shot 2,100 images. <laughs> and it was all of the same hippo. And he's telling himself, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to take it slow. 2,100 pictures oh. later. Yeah, it's like I get back and I'm like, I took how many pictures? Um, but yeah, you just you get caught up in the moment. And actually, I have a ton of great pictures because of that. Because we right, had these lion right. cubs that we're playing. And the lion cubs are they're playing and moving around. And so you're constantly shooting because they're always doing something fun and funny and there's just nonstop action. So the next thing you know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I've shot a whole bunch of pictures and I still have, you know, 13 more game drives to go on because you go on 14 game drives. So you go on one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And then in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, you hang out at camp and process pictures and, they have the cheetah lady comes and talks to you about cheetahs and the cheetah lady they have these different. Yeah, she she runs the cheetah it's research nothing. and it's really interesting because she tells you all about I cheetahs and all the cheetahs. problems with them and everything. So mm. it's a cool. It was a cool time, but yeah, you kind of huh. hang out in camp because it it gets pretty hot during the day. I bet. So you just kind of hang out and drink lots of water and work on your pictures and charge up your batteries and eat lunch. Um, we ate so much good food. I mean, it's like I swear they're fattening us up for the uh, for the lions. <laughs> the <Messiah. laughs> they're going to feed us to the lions. One of you, you will know. be the lucky <laughs> the lucky sucker to go out and feed the lions yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have a special game so, drive for you. Come with us. Yeah. Come now. <laughs> yeah. So you you so you, so it'd be safe to say that bringing like three five twelve gig cards would be a good good idea. But that means you have three cards that could fail. That's a huge card. Yeah, I would. Mm, I true. carried all sixty-four gig cards. But like a hundred of them. <laughs> so you'd be like a dozen sixty-four gig cards. Yeah, I have so many of them I can't even count. They so would line the I interior just, of your jacket as you get on the plane. Of course, they're not really. They're like, what are you well, selling? Sixty-four gig cards under your jacket. <laughs> well, and that's when I when I got on the plane. I had, um, when I was had my stuff, I always put the like the SDs in one pocket and the CFs in the other pocket. Mm. So I figured if I lost something out of one of the pockets, the other pocket would still be safe. Oh, wow. Okay, smart. Dang. Really thinking it through. Yeah. Now, before we stop this ep- this segment of wildlife photography, I have one question for you. Since I've only done two experiences of shooting wildlife and one with the 100 to 400 lens, and I was finding myself in the 5D Mark IV, I didn't want to mess around with anything. I just wanted to shoot auto because I didn't want to mess around trying to think, here's the right lighting. When I'm doing a sunset, a Milky Way shot, I can play around with manual settings because I can get my shots or bracket. But when I got wildlife zipping around, I got these eagles from maybe 
five seconds and maybe mm. for 10 minutes, who knows? I wasn't messing around with any settings. I was shooting an auto. And so the auto focus that I needed to change, how I wanted to drive my focus, that was a big question for me. And I mentioned on the podcast a few episodes ago that I like doing the center weighted focus on the 5D Mark IV where I had the square in the center. And then all I had to do is move that to the eyes of the eagle. And that's what I was playing around with. What do you like to do for your focus? When you have lion cubs bounding around, what do you do? Um, I'll use a single point like that sometimes, or I'll use the... The small group where it's, what is it? It's three by three little group of focus points. And so it has any you know one of saying? those in the diamond yeah, pattern yeah. to choose from? Yeah, so there's like three across, three across, three across. there, And they make a box. Okay. So I'll either use one, either one of those two. And then it's like a zone, gotten, right? Zone focus or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, I don't know what Canon calls it. But then I've gotten really good at being able to, without even picking my eye off of the viewfinder, is learn how to reselect that AF point really quickly. Off the LCD screen or off of the joystick? Uh, well, you have to hit the little button, the function button on the far right, and then oh, you can okay. use the joystick to move your focus point around. Because what happens is, is especially if the animal is fairly close to you, it, you c- if you just leave it in the center and you focus on them and then you move your lens a little bit, that may be enough to take it out of focus. Right, oh, right. Yeah. And that would be devastating. So, sure. yeah. So I just have gotten through time and lots of practices, you just hit that button and then you move your joystick and then you then you refocus again. And you just move mm-hmm. your focus point relative to your composition. So you, you compose your animal and then you move your focus point. And I always try to use the eye. As mm-hmm. my, because mm-hmm. a sharp eye is everything. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I don't know yeah. why it is, but it's true. If an animal's eye or a human's eye is out of focus, the picture seems out of focus. Yeah. Everything does. Yeah. I want to be able to see those eyelashes on that lion cub or that <laughs> leopard. It you know, makes I want to see that detail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, because people see those images and they look at it and they're like, wow. You know, mm-hmm. or like I have the owl that I'm photographing here by my house and. I sit there and yeah, if that if that eye is perfectly sharp, it just makes that picture. Mm-hmm. Awesome! Thanks for helping me with that. So it looks like I was kind of on the right track. I wasn't doing too poorly there. Yeah, I, I think know. it helped because I had tree branches in front of the eagles that were swaying, and so those autofocus points oh, would find a tree branch yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So I think I had to go center weighted. So let's go ahead and end this second segment, and we'll come right back, and we're going to go and forego gear time and tip of the week, and just talk with Jeff about his experiences of doing a, a show, not a gallery, but going to shows and taking printings of his photography and selling them. It's like a portable gallery really he's just taking yeah he goes where he can to sell them yeah yeah Yeah. so we'll come back and we'll talk with jeff about that and learn a little bit from the master that we only hit like a small very small part of it like if we don't stay by that tree in the hole we can Um, go to so many different there are so many other places to walk around there that are really easy to get to because it's just this big, huge, smooth rock. It's just a beautiful place. Oh, yeah, guys. And when we're out there on day three at Dance Hall Rock, this first workshop is going to have the Milky Way visible at 11.10 and Astro Twilight doesn't begin until 4.30 a.m. So you're going to be out there with us all night long at Dance Hall <laughs> Rock. So you're going to get amazing. an opportunity to do that. And maybe the first fan of six people who are too tired, like, I'm ready to go home at 2 o'clock. That's okay. We'll go. We'll send you out to the hotel. But the rest of you want to keep going, we're going to have an opportunity to get two or three or four probably in every one of these locations. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully you guys want to get some Milky Photography in with us. Come join us. We'll get you out here to this awesome spot. It's going to be a great time. Hope you guys will go up. 
look up the workshop. PhotogAdventures.com forward slash adventures. Come join us, guys. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, guys. We're talking with Jeff Peterson, redcliffsphotography.com. Check him out. He has a lot of great art from being out here in southern Utah and all the areas that he goes around. He's got some awesome photography. Oh, mm-hmm. If you find him and sure. like him on Facebook, follow him there. You're going to get all the updated pictures where he goes to places like Moab and it happens to have a crazy cloud inversion. And behind Mesa Arch, there's this beautiful dreamscape that he sends you a picture of and says, Aaron, you should have been here. Oh. You could be one of those people who could buy that print and not be Aaron who feels like he should have been there. should have been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jeff, you've been doing shows. Uh, how did you even get into shows? And how does someone like myself who doesn't understand the printing world at all because I have only messed around digitally, how does someone like me even become qualified to do a show? Well, to be qualified, you just have to get accepted. By my um, mother, you have to have you have to have at least four good images that you can submit and a picture of your booth. So is that mm-hmm. most most shows require you know, a picture of your booth? So let me understand this right. You basically submit a th- typically four pictures as like a lineup of your best stuff, like a portfolio, yeah, like a, a portfolio, portfolio yeah. yeah. And then you show pictures of what your booth would look like. Yeah, so you, they'll they'll say um, when you do there's a. Uh, online called Zap, Z-A-P-P. Okay. Oh. And a lot of the shows use them for uh, doing the application process. So there's usually a fee associated, um, anywhere from 25 to $50, depending on the show, to apply. And you, it'll tell you you have to have four images, five images, um, and then it'll say one booth shot. Disney. So you want a, a shot of that represents your booth to kind of, and what they want to do is they want to see that your booth kind of matches what your what your other images that you submitted kind of. They want to make sure that that's, they kind of coincide. You're not using some four great shots and then you don't have them in your booth. Oh, so they oh. want to see your booth fitted with pictures too, not just the walls that you plan on using. Right, and it'd be like if I if all I did was put ocean pictures in my application and everything I brought to the show was desert Southwest. They don't want that. They want to see what the variety is. Okay. Mm, nice. Yeah. So I actually have a, I have a panel picture that I use because my booth's a 10 by 20. So I, I have a panel picture that I use for my booth because it shows all the images kind of in there. Awesome. Um, hmm. Some people just take small pictures of a small part of the booth, but they just want to see what you, that number one, you actually have a booth that looks good and it's not a bunch of, you know, two by fours hammered together and, you know, you <laughs> pin some pictures up on it. So your booth, uh, is that something you buy or create yourself? I mean, is it something yep. you bring uh, every part of the structure yourself and you don't have anything from there to use? Well, I have a, I, I have invested in, I have a six by 12 foot trailer that I carry in my booth and all my stuff for the show. Mm. Um, I have two 10 by 10, um, booth, uh, tents and they're not like an easy up. They're much more sturdy built than that. Um, they're made out of a really heavy vinyl that's actually waterproof. So if it should rain on me, um, my stuff doesn't get wet. And then it has a skirt that zips on all the way around to provide security at night. And then I have a portable wall system that's covered in a tan colored um, carpet and they're 
each panel is 38 inches wide. So you basically join all these panels together, and that becomes your walls to hang your art on. Mm. Wow. I mean, that's intense. That's a hard thing to start with. I'm sure that you didn't have that your very first show, right? That seems like an intense no. setup. No, no, no. Yeah, you start out with you know smaller booths. I mean, most people start out with a 10 by 10, um, and there's other hanging systems that you can get, but you need something to be able to hang your prints. Right, right. Sounds so really good. There's wow. some fabric curtains that guys use. Um there's guys make their own walls. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few guys that have made their own walls, just um, built a, a frame and then cover it with carpet, glue the carpet on, okay. and that works. It, it looks good. I mean, it, you just need something to be able to hang your art and not have it blow away in the wind. Mm-hmm. Man, okay. Um, and then and then mine's weighted in the corners. So I have I have 52-pound weights that go in each each corner Mm -hmm. to help hold it all down in case the wind should blow oh man so because that's usually the big problem i never thought that the consideration i'd have to be making is how do i build my booth i I always thought that these booths were provided for some reason or that you would have a space that you rented from them and you didn't have to bring all this construction some some shows will rent you uh a tent and Mm, um, display stuff but for the most part, most of them, you have to bring your own. And you're going to have a better time in the application process, I bet, if you show that you got your own. That's right. Mm. And you can buy the stuff used. Like the panels I use are made by a company called ProPanel. And so you can go on, and there's a lot of different forums and stuff. And you people will be getting out of the business, and they'll sell their, their wall systems and that. And you can pick them up pretty cheap that way. Mm. Um, a whole lot cheaper than buying them new. Okay. Yeah, you, I but, assume uh, that you've been rejected to some places you've applied. Do you have any reasons why you've been rejected, or was it a lottery type situation? Usually, you don't know. You they don't tell you, "Oh, yeah, your work sucks," or <laughs> you know, those are ugly pictures, or you know, you don't, you really don't have any feedback. And a lot of times, it's just there's so many people applying, you never. You never know. I mean, it's sometimes it's luck of the draw. Like the Park City show um, a few years ago, 540 photographers applied wow. for that show. 540. And they take they take like 16. Right. Wait, 16? I thought they took 200 and 540 applied. Well, that's that's 200 total artists. Wow. So they took 16. So you have, you have photographers, you have painters, painters you have sculptors, yeah. you have oh. people doing metal art. Um, digital art, <laughs> uh, jewelry, um, wood carving. I mean, there's a there's a list. I think it's like sixteen or seventeen categories that you can apply in. So wow. really, so it, digital photography like yours, sixteen people maybe got taken out of that. Yeah. Wow. So the most my most recent show there was sixteen booths of photographers <laughs> out of I I don't remember if we had a hundred. And 20, I think it was about 120 people showing. Hmm. Well, what's the what's the typical fee people can expect for application? You kind of mentioned it, that was $35 or something. But for a place like Park City, where you have lots of money changing hands, is that an expensive application? It, not so much the application, it's your booth. Oh. The better the, the better the show, the more expensive your booth is, or you start having to pay a percentage mm-hmm. of your sales. 
Do you get a So they'll give you a, a receipt book and then you have to write the customer receipt and then at the end of the show before you can leave, you have to pay them their 10%. Wow. <laughs> okay, 10% even. That's not small. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty standard. Hmm. Okay, you, for the for the good ones. So you know this all in advance, and you're applying probably. So some of the shows that your favorites to get in, or if you were to recommend to someone getting into it, where would you say for them to start? Should they go to these local local like Strawberry Days type celebrations, or they should go bigger, shoot bigger? Where should they do? I think it's a good idea to start out in the smaller shows. I did it again. The you know the local shows. You don't have to have as big of an investment. The booths are going to be a lot cheaper. Like I'm going to be doing one here in Cedar because it's right here where I live. And for my double booth, it's only $150. Oh. Okay. Where that where that same booth at Park City's, you know, over 1000 <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, right. so start out, you know, because then you don't have to sell as much stuff because it's a learning process in the beginning. You have to learn the whole system because – you're not going to go out in your first show and sell $10,000 worth of art. Right. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, not unless you've got something that nobody's ever seen in their life. And you basically have to sell stuff to people. And uh, so start out with these small shows. The smaller ones, there's, there's a lot of them around. Um, some farmer's markets will allow artists in like um, once a month. Um but look for the smaller shows with the, you know, basically the less you pay to get in, the the easier it is usually to get into them. Okay, right on. So, you were saying about someone who's out there that they're going to have to learn how to do it. It's going to take time and practice. Well, what is it someone's learning to sell? What is it that someone's learning about being good at being booth? You have to learn the art of selling to people. It, it's the story a lot of times it sells to people. Oh, Okay. I recommend that before you do your first show is go to a show and wander around and watch and see what other artists, how they, how they present their work, how they talk to people. Just stand around and listen. Because if you stand in, around in somebody's booth long enough, you're going to hear their spiel. And you'll see the ones that are very successful. And then you'll see the ones that are, they don't sell so much. And... You have to, so that's part of the learning process. You just don't go out there and go, oh, I got some pictures, I'm going to throw them up on the wall. You have to kind of figure out, okay, how do how does the best way to display them to make them look their best? It's no different than hanging your work in a gallery. It's just a much smaller um, area that you have to sell from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Important things is, is, is frame prints don't sell as well as unframed. Really? Yeah. When you frame them, you're already affecting the way that they like the picture. Yes, and and because frames are a personal thing. Yeah. Uh, so when you frame a picture, you pretty much have to find somebody who wants that picture with that frame. All uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like staging a room. Sometimes you put too many pieces of furniture or pictures on the wall in the room, selling a house, and they can't picture themselves living in that house. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to go and paint all the rooms in your house black. That's not going to sell the house. Right. <laughs> so it's the same thing. So um, gallery-wrapped canvases do really well. What's a gallery-wrapped canvas? It's where the image has been either mirrored or it has been printed so it goes okay. around the corner yeah. and is stretched around the corner. So it, the image appears to go around the side of the, oh, the canvas. Okay. So it can hang by itself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need a frame. I see. I can picture that now. 
So those are those are an, a really reasonable way to get started. Uh, metal prints tend to do a little bit better. They do cost more to print, but uh, they definitely look a lot better. Mm. And there's certain images that are going to look better on metal, and some are going to look better on canvas. And that's part of that whole learning process. You have to see what which one's going to look the best to present to your possible customers. What would you say someone should do? Should they go in and get a cheap metal print from Costco that looks pretty decent? Or should you go for the gold and print it from the place that you would actually print it from when they order it? I would not go with a Costco print. I would steer clear of buying prints from Costco. I would only go with an archival process. It's going to cost you a little bit more, but that's part of your sales pitch. Mm-hmm. Then mm. is say, "Hey, you know, this is printed on our it, with an archival process. This is going to outlast you." Oh, you know, archival so then process. that that sent, that's going to add value to that image. Okay, um, the, the last thing you want to do is come back the next year to a show and have somebody come back with a print and go, "Hey, I spent all this money on this print and it faded." Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So even though you showed an example of Costco, but it's going to be better, don't even waste time with that. Get something that's already a high-quality print that's going to be what they're buying. And you're saying archival is a process that a printer would know when you say, I want to pay for the archival print to this metal print that they'll yes. they'll know what you're talking about. Okay. Oh, yeah. So there's a, there's a few companies that do archival metal, and um, they're not that much. there's not that much difference in price, really. Oh, okay. Um, Metal's an expensive process to begin with. Oh, I can imagine. But it's a it's a for something that you're going to haul around from show to show to show, you're less likely to damage it. Mm. It's gonna it's gonna look a lot better um, in the booth over a period of time. Canvases tend to get damaged and ripped and stuff, so you have to figure that into your whole business. Okay. So when you're thinking about starting out, know your printing. Get the higher quality there, don't have frames, get your booth looking nice. What are some of the other things that a beginner should learn or figure out over time as they're doing this that's going to make them a better salesman? What are the, What's going to make them better at it? Telling the story you mentioned a little bit. Yeah, you want to always have a story to tell people because people get attached to the story a lot mm-hmm. of times. Um, they want to hear about your experience of capturing that photo because they can – a lot of times can attach that because either they've been to that location or, you know, they've they've seen it all over the place, and you want to you want your photo to stand out from the rest. So like my um, Mesa Arch with the clouds, yeah, I just I just showed it for the first time at my last show. Oh, really? And I printed two copies of it and sold both of them. <laughs> but it's your first time showing it. Why didn't you show it off yet? Is that your first show? Well, I sold it <laughs> since I since I captured it. That was your first show. Okay, mm. it seemed like it was crazy. So to with wait that one, long. wow. Yeah, I mean, it's been a. I mean, it takes time to get a print ready before I. I mean, we took that. I took that photo in January. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I had about a month in it of because I keep going back to it and playing around, and then I, I test printed it a couple times, and I didn't like the first couple times it came out. I didn't like. I some see parts of it. Oh, okay. So eventually, I got it figured out way how I wanted it, and then I printed it twice. And I probably should have printed it about six times. <laughs> I should have probably had about six of them because they sold pretty, pretty well. So <laughs> I had a big, I've had a big hole in my wall for a while. So 
Um, <laughs> but that brings me to something. If you have something hanging on your wall, try to have a small, smaller print, something in like a 8 by 10, 11 by 14, 8 by 12, or 12 by 18 inch. Um, usually I have those in paper prints mm-hmm. and I have a little bin. But if it's hanging on the wall, it's it's really funny. If you watch people, they'll see a picture and they just fall in love with it. And they'll head right straight for the print bin to see if they can find it in that bin. Oh. Because they know they can't afford that big fancy print. Or buy the smaller but one. They can, yeah. But they can afford that little one. Ah, oh, genius. Mm-hmm. So, so the Milky Way shot that we took last year at... Uh, Owachomo Bridge? Owachomo, and then also at es- Escalani, yeah. Sunset Arch. I have both those images in my booth. And I sold every single paper print that I had of those at this last show. Wow. <laughs> nice. Plus, I sold one of each of the, the medals. Oh, man. And those are freaking amazing shots. Oh, so yeah, we're not surprised shots. at all. Yeah, yeah. They're great. Oh, man. But yeah, so that's a that's a key is if you're going to do that, have have something that maybe like they can't afford that yeah. $400 print, but they can afford a you know $30 print. Right, right. So, because those those little prints can make your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you sell a lot of those, because those those are cheap to make, right? So you sell a lot of those, you could do really well profit wise. I sold yeah. I sold thirty six at my last show, which equaled to seventeen thousand dollars. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, two million dollars. One, one billion (laughs) (laughs) so when you're you're telling me about the little ice you know intimate landscapes back when you're in dead horse point you pointed out that these little ice shots are some of the best conversation starters i have in my booth talk about that trick Mm. that tip well yeah because you'll get people and they'll they'll be sitting there and they'll you know they do the old dog looking at the (laughs) out the window thing cocking their head and trying to figure out you know they're looking at trying to figure out what it is and it's like you can see it on them so then you just go over there and you start talking to them and it just next thing you know you're you've talked to them for 15 20 minutes and you know you've told them all these stories and they get attached and if they're if they're going to buy something they they will come back it's amazing how many people will come back because of a story (laughs) wow um I had I had I had somebody call me last Tuesday, which was almost two weeks after the show, to purchase one of my prints that we had in the booth. And mm. they just remembered and the story. So two weeks later, they still retained that you existed, was an, had your number, mm. and wanted to talk about it. Yep, and and purchased the print. <laughs> I was amazed because I, I was completely. I was like, I was done with that show and I was getting ready. I'm getting ready for the next one. And and then next thing I know, I'm like, he calls me out of the blue and I'm like, oh yeah. So hmm. I got him the print and made the sale. But, you know, those stories, you get people coming back. I mean, I had a lot of people would say, well, I don't know. And I, because I'd never try to push somebody into a print. Mm-hmm. Um but I'll I'll give them suggestions, you know, because they'll look at a pic, you know, like the triptychs, the big triptychs. That's a big print. That's you know three feet tall and a little over six feet wide. Is that what a triptych means? At, is that a large images. printer? Three well, it's three images. One, yeah. Oh. To make one. Okay. 
So it's Very it's big. one image, but it's printed on three panels. And so they'd look at it and they'd go, oh, man, I don't know. And and I I always, you know, I have the same kind of story I tell them. I said, well, go home. If you live here nearby, just go home and take some masking tape and mask out that big of an area on your wall. And then And then look at it and then see if that's going to be the right size. And you'd be surprised. Um, hmm. People come back and they, they buy because they go home and they don't feel pressured. And when you buy art, you, the last thing you want to do is pressure somebody into an art yeah, sale. Yeah, yeah. Why is that? Um, you want them to, you want them because you want them as a customer. It. Yeah. You want them coming back for and more. And that's kind of true with, I guess, any sales. It's any sales. It's sales. Yeah. I mean, when you're out there to show, it's straight up sales, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How exhausting is it um, throughout the whole day of doing sales like that? It you're tired. Um at the end of a at the end of a weekend of a show, you're pretty well done. <laughs> um figure you spend about five hours setting your booth up. Ooh, yes. <laughs> I'm done. Hanging all because it, it goes up, it takes forever to put it up. So you're hanging all your stuff and you're looking at it and you're making sure everything's just right. You spend the whole weekend there. It seems like you never get anything to eat. Um, you get, I usually snack and drinking water is my big important part. Mm. You go home, crash at the end of the day and do it another day. And then at the end of the second day, you have to tear that whole booth down. After all your. And usually you're fighting the sunset because <laughs> it's going to get dark on you. So you got to get everything torn down, thrown back in the trailer, loaded up, and head home. Now, it takes about, on average, it takes me about two hours to tear the booth down. It's funny how it goes up in five and comes down in two, but <laughs> coming down seems to be a lot easier. You're just pulling stuff off, stacking it, wrapping it, and uh, it's much easier that way. <laughs> but yeah, you're, when I get home at the, after an, a show, I'm, I'm exhausted. The next day is just, I sleep in to maybe seven o'clock in the morning, and... Um, just kind of relax. Sleep in so. to 7 a.m.? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's sleeping in So you're in not 17 me. years old or 30 because apparently sleeping in is... It's a different term. <laughs> I'm thinking of different times completely. If I'm really <laughs> tired, I might make it till 7. <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty guilty today then because I turned off my alarm at 6.50 and forgot to turn anything else on and slept until 10. That's well. You saw me at Death Valley. I was awake. I was awake before my alarm. <laughs> yeah, true I, brought, true. I beat my alarm every morning. So yeah, that's just me. I mean, I'm a. I've just naturally always been that way, and uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a lot of work to do a show, and it's actually a pretty sizable investment mm-hmm. when you figure out how much you end up in prints, hanging on your wall, and then in the print bins and that, you can easily have you know seven eight thousand dollars tied up um to do it right wow <sighs> you guys are thinking about doing shows you guys are thinking about going out there and printing your pictures you're gonna have to start off with multiple prints check each picture and make sure it's what you want with what jeff is saying make sure that you have stories you're sharing stories and you're not pushy as a salesman but you have that story to hook them with mm-hmm. or that even crazy trick of having something that's almost confusing to look at that they need the backstory to understand what they're seeing. It's like, is this a high shot of the, from a drone of a frozen lake? No, that's a two-inch puddle of ice that looks awesome. And mm. so you tell these stories, you do it, 
and you just have a clean, well-represented booth and get ready to invest money in it before you make the money back. But it sounds like, Jeff, it's making you plenty of money for your toys and trips because uh, you just had a long trip and you've had three, four trips I'm aware of just this year alone. So it's working out for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, definitely have the ability to pay for all these trips. And um, yeah, the more the more I sell, the the more trips I can go on, so. Nice. Or the more camera gear I can get. <laughs> Which is what we all want. <laughs> so any of you out there thinking about yeah. doing those $150 booths, uh, definitely do it. That'll buy you your next lens. Just give your life over to those people for two days and work <laughs> hard in most likely the sun and heat. Yeah, and have fun. That's the that's the key. If you're not having fun doing it, don't do it. Right. I mean, that, and that's why I say start out small. Because if you get out there, you may not like talking to people. Right, right. Um, and if you can't talk to people and engage with them, then maybe that's not the way for you to sell your work. Maybe a gallery is a better better venue, having somebody else sell it for you. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff, for joining us for a long conversation tonight. We really appreciate you getting on the podcast with us. Seriously, yeah. We've had a blast talking with him about wildlife photography, our own trips with him, and how to be a, you know, a good show, do a good show and sell your photography. We want to have Jeff back to talk more about printing and more about other desert southern lands, southern Utah and southern states landscape art, and he's got a lot of good information and tips for us. So we'll have Jeff on again pretty soon because yeah, we love having yeah. Jeff on, and we'll be able to get some more information from him so thanks jeff for joining us brendan do you have anything to add before we hang up for this week no guys just go out there and have a photog adventure this week there's some great weather out there some great atmosphere i mean the clouds are changing every day the sky is amazing every day uh go make something happen absolutely so thanks for joining us again thank you patrons and we'll be back next wednesday thanks jeff see you later see you jeff thanks guys